Well, hello, church. Hola, Iglesia. I am so glad to be worshiping with you today. I want you to know that I love what I see God doing in our church right now. I obviously don't love the situation we're in, but I am watching God use our church in such powerful ways. Uh, Thousands of phone calls have been made in just the last week to connect with people who might be home alone and need help. Hundreds of people are managing to continue to meet in groups and study God's word together and minister to one another. Uh, Kathy Smith, one of our ministers, uh, gave me on Thursday this update, just a snapshot. I love this. She says this, what an awesome week. God is blessing me and our church in so many ways. Leaders are calling their people. Some love it so much they think they're going to keep doing after the COVID crisis is over. Our handymen delivered beds and a washer and a dryer to one of our single moms undergoing chemotherapy. Our knitters are knitting together via Zoom. She said she talked to another leader who who did her Bible study over Zoom and was not excited about it beforehand, but afterwards said she loved it. She loved being connected with her community. We have a team here at our church that are sewing surgical masks to keep our medical providers supplied. Kathy said she picked up 50 masks from just one person. She she concluded her note this way, God is working in our church. Keep up the good work, reaching out to one another and serving in Jesus' name. I love that. That is what I see happening in our church everywhere I look. I hope you are signed up and receiving our newsletter so that you can learn about all these ministries and how you can be a part of them. I also do hope that if you're able, uh, that you are choosing to support the church financially right now so that this ministry can continue. Uh, Please take the time you need to learn to give online, or if you prefer, mail a check to the church. Uh, Many can't give in this season, so those who can, your gifts are vitally important to keeping this amazing ministry going. Uh, Today, I want to teach you one of the most important spiritual skills that you need during this pandemic. You've probably figured out that lots of us are learning new skills, right? Uh, Kids are learning how to go to school online, and grown-ups are learning how to go to work through Zoom meeting, and we're all learning new ways to go grocery shopping and be with our family 24-7, all these kinds of things. Lots of new skills to learn. Today, I want you to learn a new skill that's going to help your spiritual life. I want you to learn how to pray in a pandemic. Here's the reason this is so important to me. It's because I want you to grow closer to God. I think that this this kind of chaos we're in right now could be a spiritual opportunity for you. And that'll only be true if one of the things you do in the midst of this pandemic is learn to pray. Now, the two-word answer for how to pray during a pandemic is the same as how you pray at any other time. Pray honestly. Here's what is, this is always true. Whenever you try to pray to God, here's what's true. The most important thing you have to say to God is whatever is the truest thing about you. Do you need to tell God you're scared or you're angry or that you're relieved that you're still healthy even though you're worried that others are sick? Do you need to ask God, why did this happen or or why is this happening? Those are amazing prayers. But in a pandemic or really whenever we face suffering, 
we sometimes need a little help praying the honest prayers we need to pray. You might even be worried that you're not allowed to pray honest prayers, that the, that the thing you really want to say to God, that somehow you, you shouldn't say it or couldn't say it. You might need to learn what I'll call the prayer of not thank you. The reason you need to learn the prayer of not thank you, for starters, is just so you can be honest with God. That's where every good prayer starts, just telling God the truth. But ultimately, you've got to learn the prayer of not thank you so that you can learn how to truly tell God thank you. Uh, to teach you what I mean, uh, let me tell you a little story about my kids when they were little. Uh, my boys had a pretty steady bedtime ritual. You know, we had a story and then a bath and then teeth brushing and then pajamas and then a cup of water and then night-night music and then lights out and then together we prayed. On a busy night, we could cancel a few of those items. I was always a big fan of skipping teeth brushing, but, but the thing we couldn't skip was prayers. I remember a time, my boys were maybe four and six, uh, Bryant was in the middle of a bit of a strike, not from praying, he just wouldn't pray out loud. So he would pray silently, and we had to guess when he was done. Uh, but Evan, at this stage, loved to pray. And his evening prayers were mostly a list of thank yous. Now, I had told him that we could tell God other things. We could ask God for things. We could apologize to God for things we'd done wrong. We could even tell God when things made us angry or sad. But he mostly liked to say thank you. Uh, we had a little slogan. Uh, kids, maybe you can learn this slogan. You can teach it to your parents. We said this. When we pray, we can tell God anything. Try that. We can tell God anything. That sounds pretty true, doesn't it? But for Evan, he mostly told God, thank you. A pretty typical prayer segment at this stage in his life sounded like this. Thank you for this day, and thank you that we got to play the Star Wars video game, and thank you that we got to eat apple slices for our snack, and thank you that we got to make, Dad, what were they called? Wreaths. Right, thank you that we got to make wreaths, even though Daddy wouldn't let me do it by myself, or use the, what are they called? Clippers. Oh, right, use the clippers, even though the clippers are just big scissors, and I know how to use scissors, but thank you anyway, and thank you that Daddy promised to remember next time to put the butter on the toast right away so that it will melt, but thank you for toast anyway, which is a special breakfast, even when Daddy doesn't make it right, and thank you that we got to play in the treehouse, and thank you for my family, Grandma and Grandpa, and Amon Gong, and Uncle Michael and Aunt Gina, and Eric and Uncle Yusan, and he would go on, and every family member, and then the prayer would end, and thank you for Mommy who is the best mommy in the whole world. Amen. But one night, there was a surprise variation. After praying through a day's worth of gratitude and listening every family member he could remember, he ended with this prayer. And God, about the bee, thank you and not thank you. Uh, thank you that I found out that I am not allergic to bees and that it didn't hurt as bad as I thought so that now I can be brave like daddy and don't have to be afraid of bees. But not thank you that I got stung. It really hurt and I didn't like it at all. Thank you and not thank you. 
Now, I know it's a cliche uh, to find profound truth in the startling honesty of children, but I make no apologies because honest speech is sometimes in short supply when Christians talk about suffering. I, and perhaps you, sometimes prefer platitudes to telling the truth. I, and perhaps you, sometimes would rather quote a random scripture out of context. I can do all things through Christ. God works for the good in all things. I know God has plans for you. We'd rather just quote some Christian cliche than admit that suffering hurts. You might even feel some sort of kind of society Christian pressure to thank God for suffering with empty gestures that you don't mean You might feel like you dare not bring to your lips the not thank you that you feel in your hearts. Now, there's a difficulty, of course. If we believe that God is the Lord of the universe and we tell God that we don't like suffering, are we blaming God? Are we saying that God messed up? And when we suffer greatly, what do we do with all that rage? Are we allowed to speak frankly to God and say, not thank you. I did not want this. I did not ask for this. This is not the plan I made for my life. Did you, God, do this to me? Are we allowed to talk to God like that? You see, this honest speech about the bee came from my son because he hadn't been taught that he shouldn't tell God when things hurt. He had never been taught that he should just act like it was all fine and like he never really felt pain. You know who else never got taught that lesson? The people of the Bible. You look throughout scripture at the great heroes of our faith, the ones who teach us how to follow God. They knew how to say not thank you to the evil and suffering in their world. Uh, Jeremiah, one of the greatest prophets, uh, he, he was saying not thank you to God all the time. Here's Jeremiah 12, verse 1. You are always in the right, God, when I bring a case before you. Nevertheless, I still want to talk to you about your sense of justice. I want to take you to court, he's saying. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all the faithless live at ease? In in Jeremiah 15, he says, I wish you'd just kill me. My life is so bad. This kind of speech is common in Jeremiah's ministry. And it wasn't just Jeremiah. Several of the Psalms record one of God's people saying, not thank you to the suffering that they're experiencing. Uh, We call these psalms of not thank you, we call them laments. And the laments of David and other authors, they share their pain, they share it with God and with us as they cry out about the suffering and injustice in their lives. Here's an example from Psalm 42. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Even Jesus in the garden prayed a prayer a lot like my little boy did. God, about the cup, not thank you. 
He says, this isn't the path I want to walk down. I don't want to suffer, God. Now, of course, he adds, but your will be done. But he's clear. He doesn't look forward to the suffering. And then on the cross, Jesus remembers one of those psalms of lament. He quotes it, Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night. I find no rest. Did you know you could pray to God like that? You can if you need to. It might be the most important prayer you can pray in a pandemic is to tell God where it hurts and to tell God that you hurt. You see, this talk about biblical laments, it's more than just a mildly interesting review of a biblical literary form. This is precisely the kind of honest, not thank you prayer that the church needs to relearn. We need the honesty of faithful lament because the absence of lament creates at least three potential crises that will ruin the ministry of the church in a time of suffering. Uh, First, if we forget how to pray the prayer of lament, well, our ministry will be weakened in the eyes of the world because we lose touch with reality. Our prayer life will crumble because our prayers will be all pretense and fake prayers don't please God. And ultimately, and this is the great one you've got to learn, if we can't pray the prayer of not thank you, we ultimately actually deny the goodness and sufficiency of our God. Let me talk about these three things. The first reality is this. Our ministry in the world is weakened if we are unable to just name bad things are bad things. Injustice is injustice. Pandemics are pandemics, and there's nothing good about a pandemic. If we can't just cry out against suffering, both our suffering and others' suffering, because we have an inability to speak the truth about suffering, well, it gives the impression to the world that we've just lost touch with reality. There is evil in the world, and everyone else in the world knows it, and the Bible bears witness to it. But if Christians lose our ability to say to God and to one another, this is wrong, life shouldn't be like this, this is not God's plan, God's ultimate plan for the universe, well, if we can't say that, well, the world will just assume that we're blind to the reality of suffering, and therefore our God must be blind too. And if God is blind to all that is wrong with the world, well, then how can God make it right? The, the irony is, it's, it, it's precisely our honest speech about the difficulty and pain of suffering that opens an opportunity to share that God knows things are wrong. God cares about our pain. God agrees that suffering is evil, and God has a plan to fix it. 
The second thing that happens, if we forget the prayer of not thank you, the prayer of lament, is that it destroys our prayer life. Because here's the thing. Prayers that are not honest aren't prayers. Because God knows what's truly on your heart. If you hide that with some pretend prayer, that's just a religious performance. That does not honor or glorify God. God doesn't call us to be masochists. God did not design you for suffering, sickness, and death, and war, and disease, and doubt, and rebellion. All these things are part of how the world has been broken. None of these things are part of God's plan to restore things. So get this. It's natural. It's even healthy for you to take no joy in evil. Whether the evil that befalls others, or the evil you do, or the evil that comes in your life and your loved ones. You ought to hate it when you suffer. Because God didn't design you for suffering, God designed you for glory. We're going to see in a minute that there is always room for a thank you prayer. And that's also an essential part of how we pray. It turns out you can find a reason to thank God even when a loved one is dying or when the world is torn by war, or when a pandemic is upon us. But God does not expect us to be thankful that a loved one is dying, or that the world is torn by war, or that a pandemic is upon us. If we pray as if we're glad that we're suffering, that creates a spirit of dishonesty in our prayers, and it, it leaves our relationship with God this sort of hollow shell. What was Jeremiah supposed to pray? God, I'm so glad my family is trying to kill me. Would that have been made him a better prophet if he wouldn't admit to God that he was hurting and lonely and angry? And third, ultimately, this is what's so essential. When we can't pray a prayer of lament about our anger and frustration and grief and fear for the pain we experience and the suffering we experience, we're ultimately denying the goodness of God. See, it's only because my son believes that I love him that he was able to mention that poorly made toast in his prayers. It's only because Jeremiah knows that God's ultimate plan for him is goodness and blessing, that he has the confidence to bring to God his present frustration about his present suffering. Jeremiah knows, and he ultimately teaches us this, God is just as angry about your suffering as you are. God wants the evil of this world to be cleansed and made whole even more than you do. God did not bring evil into this world. God is the one who sees the evil and calls it evil, who cries out in lament and says, I'm going to fix that. So God will not be surprised to hear your prayer of not thank you for the pain, God. Not thank you for the fear, God. In fact, God loves that prayer and honors that prayer because that prayer remembers that our God is good. And let me tell you what happens when you regain your ability to pray a prayer of grief, to pray a prayer of frustration, to pray a prayer of anger, 
to pray a prayer of not thank you. When you have learned to speak truthfully to one another and to God about your suffering, about your fear, about this pandemic, in that moment, your prayer of thank you gains its true power. See, here's the thing. If our suffering is no big deal, if the pain isn't really that bad, if the fear we experience when we lose a job isn't that big a thing, if the agony we have when a loved one gets sick isn't really a thing, if that's just kind of God's plan for our lives, then why are we so amazed and so grateful when God heals and redeems and rescues and repairs what was broken? Why are we so desperately thankful that God has sent Jesus Christ to fix this broken and dying world if the suffering was no big deal? It turns out that we find joy in suffering. We give thanks even in the darkness. We pray the thank you prayer even in the face of COVID-19, not because we're pretending that the suffering isn't bad or the darkness isn't dark or the, the disease isn't scary, like some sort of peculiar irrationality. No, we find joy in suffering and give thanks in the darkness, not because scary things aren't scary, but because our God is greater. This is the thank you of Romans 8.28, not as a cliche, but as a powerful truth. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. The power of that is that in all things, some of those all things are bad things. Listen, I know by itself that verse sounds like a platitude. And, and if you're not a follower of Christ and you're listening in, maybe you've heard a Christian say that. And you're like, I don't even know what that means. All things work for good. And it just sounds like an empty cliche. But here's what you've got to know. In the context of Paul's life, he's a man who really suffered, who really experienced injustice. And in the context of his life and his teaching, this is not a cliche that things aren't bad or it'll all just work out. This is an acknowledgement that even though evil is evil and darkness is dark and pain is pain and disease is upon us, God is greater. Listen to what he says in context, Romans 8, 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation... The creation was subjected to frustration. That's why pandemics are here, because of the fall that has broken all of creation. This creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in the hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into freedom and glory of the children of God. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. And we know that in all things, even bad things, even objectively bad things, things that make us pray a prayer of not thank you, why did this happen, God? Lord, have mercy. Heaven, protect us. Even in those things, God works for the good of those who love God, 
who have been called according to his purpose. What then shall we say in response to these things, these bad things? Well, if God is for us, who can be against us? God, who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will God not also, along with him, give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is interceding for us. Who then shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or pandemics? When Paul makes this list of things that can't separate us from Christ, he speaks from experience. Every one of those things are things that have happened to him. He isn't just saying, ah, suffering isn't that bad. It's just part of God's plan. Paul isn't saying that. He's saying, I know suffering. It can be big and it can be bad. I've experienced trouble and hardship and persecution and famine and nakedness and danger and sword. And in every one, I cried out to my God in pain. But I also know my God. And my God is bigger and better. So even in the suffering, after we have prayed our genuine prayer of not thank you, this hurts God, help us God, we can pray a prayer of thank you. We can rejoice because the end of all things is glorious. And if things aren't glorious, it isn't the end. You remember that psalm that Jesus prayed on the cross when he was suffering? Jesus, who teaches us how to pray when we're suffering, who says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And if you need to pray that prayer, you're allowed to. That prayer, the prayer that starts out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Here's how it ends. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord and God rules over the nations. They will proclaim God's righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, God did it. And you're going to have a story to tell like that too. I'm telling you, church, if it isn't glorious, it's not the end. Because in the end, it's going to be glorious. This is why you need to know how to pray in a pandemic. I want you to grow closer to God in this season. Don't stop praying just because you're not sure what to say. Don't stop praying because you're worried that your first sentence will be, Why, God? Why is this happening? Why did I lose my job or a friend get sick or... Why is this suffering in my world? If that's the first sentence of your prayer, God wants to hear that prayer. God wants your honest prayer. And then, let the Spirit of God meet you there and say to you, I know that evil is evil, 
I know that there is darkness in the world. I know that you suffer. I know that COVID-19 encircles the globe. But I know that I, the Lord, am working. And God promises that God will use all things, even this suffering, to refine us and to heal the world and to draw things closer to his glorious goodness. We say not thank you, God, because our pain is real and our God grieves with us. But we say thank you because our God is the one who can heal the pain and repair what is broken. I want you to go closer to God, church. To do that, you need to pray. To pray honestly in a pandemic, you'll have to pray not thank you prayers. And thank you prayers. And they're both good prayers. You may need to pray, God, why did you let this happen? You may need to pray, God, would you please do some good here? You may need to pray, God, why did I lose my job? You may need to pray, God, would you teach me to trust you? You may need to pray, God, give me more faith to believe that you will bring good out of this. You may need to pray, God, I believe that you will bring good out of this. Every one of those prayers is a prayer of trust. It's because you trust God that you can pray, thank you for the good you will do, even through the pain. And it's because you trust your heavenly Father that you can pray the truth. God, I didn't want the pain. Maybe you just need to pray about the bee, God. Thank you. And not thank you. Let's pray. God, we ask you, how long, O Lord, We ask you with the psalmist, come quickly, Lord, and rescue us. God, we pray in partnership with those who are hurting right now because of lost jobs, because of lost loved ones, because of health concerns and scares, because of loneliness and anxiety, because of tension in relationships. We pray in solidarity with their pain, and we cry out to you, Father, be with us in this pain. Father, our world is broken and only you can heal. But having heard our lament, God, we go on to pray. Oh God, we trust that in all things you can work good. We trust that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. We trust that you, God, are glorious and that people will proclaim your righteousness, declaring to generations yet unborn what we will live to see, our God did it. And in the hope of that rescue and redemption, trusting in Jesus to complete the good work that he started, we pray all these things.